Worship is so good for your soul, isn't it? I always hate when I have to preach because I'm like, well, we could just stay in that little dun-dun-dun, you know, just rest. Uh, Well, we've been talking, if you haven't been with us, we've been kind of just in this series about um, the power of the Holy Spirit to break down barriers. That when the fullness of the Spirit was released in Acts 2, uh, when you continue reading Acts, you just see the whole world um, as as the people of God knew it was turned upside down because all of these barriers uh, began to just be broken. And so Pastor John has, has preached two or three three messages on on the different barriers. And, uh, so I knew we were coming up on, on this one that I'm going to speak on. And I was like, that's mine. That's mine. I am excited. And so, uh, today I want to look into, to the word and see how ethnic barriers were breached after the filling of the Holy Spirit. And the subject is really close to my heart. Uh, this year I've been just seeking the Lord, um, regarding the subject of ethnicity. And, uh, you know, it's one that I think that the church, we, we need to have, we need to, we need to look into God's word and see what the answer is. Because right now in our culture, uh, their ethnic diversity has become a point of division, but in God's kingdom, it's a point of celebration. And so we need to like look in this, in the word of God and look at our own hearts and allow Jesus to do a work in us because we ought not be part of the problem. We should be the restorers because that's what Jesus was. And so I'm, I'm just so passionate about this. You guys, this, this whole, this whole thing about ethnic diversity and prejudice and racism was birthed in me sitting around a table with four square leaders. And my table was this myself, white girl, Asian woman, Cuban American woman, Black African man, Hispanic American man, and I think there, and one other white man. And, uh, you know, if you're gonna have a, a table discussion about ethnic diversity, that's a good crew. That's a good crew to have it with. Uh, and I, I wept at that table and the Lord just did something in me and I've just been seeking his heart uh, regarding this all year. So I'm super excited to just finally um, come and share it with you. You know, in our culture, ethnic diversity has become um, just this dividing point that's been so fueled by political agenda and, and media. And it's really easy to get sucked into um, believing that people who do not look like us or who are from another nation, all the things, um, are somehow less than. Or somehow they're the problem. And that's not, that's not true. And I'm not here, I'm not here to give you a political message. I'm not here to talk about immigration or the wall or any of those things, but I want to talk about what does Jesus say about these things? Ethnic diversity is something that should be celebrated and the broken parts restored by Jesus. So if we go into Acts 8, we, we begin to see this happening here. 
And there's a lot of cool things um, in, in this story, so you should read it and be blessed by all of it, but I'm just going to kind of skim it and and talk about a couple of things. Pastor John has mentioned the last several weeks how there was a, a, you know, persecution rose up against the church and it forced them to leave. It forced them to go to the ends of the earth, which Jesus had told them to do uh, after he was raised from the dead. And so it, sa- it says in verse 1, I believe, a great wave of persecution began that day sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. And so that's kind of what's happening here. If you jump down to verse 4, it says, uh, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear the message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Then there's this whole encounter with Simon the sorcerer and and all the things, uh, but I'm not going to really focus in on him. It says, when the uh, in verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there, and as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. And so it was just amazing. Uh, there's some more interaction with Simon the sorcerer there. And in verse 25, it says, After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. And so you can read, uh, you can read that whole interaction and think, uh, that's cool. It, so- it sounds right, you know? That's, that's what they were called to do. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the good news, all the things. So that's what they're doing. They just went to Samaria. They went to the different towns. They preached the good news. People are receiving the Holy Spirit. And this is amazing. But if you don't know the culture and the context of this, you don't realize how powerful it is. Because, see, the last time the believers were in Samaria, they were not this jazzed about it. Okay, so if you flip over to John 4, we're going to look at that encounter. If I can get there in my Bible. All right, so this might be familiar to you. Uh, we're just going to start and read this this passage. It's so good. In verse 1, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of, tell me how to say that, Pastor Don. Sachar, near the field that Jacob gave to him, to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired after a long walk, sat wearily beside the well, the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. 
He was alone at the time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. And she said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. And then she, she, you know, she's so perplexed by this, but sir, you don't have a bucket or a rope. Like, how are you going to bring water? And Jesus is telling her, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. It comes from a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them internal eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. And then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. And so, you know, she's still just here in the natural, just like, this sounds amazing, right? And uh, so Jesus says, hey, go get your husband for me. And she says, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus reads her mail. You're right. You don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And now you aren't even married to the man you're living with. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. Like you think? So tell me why, why is it that you Jews insist? So she's asking this question. She's coming back to this ethnic and like, why do the Jews insist that we have to worship here and all these things? Right. And, and Jesus is just telling her, Hey, the time is coming. When it's not going to matter. And the woman tells him, I I know the Messiah is coming. The one who's called Christ. And Jesus says, I am him. I am the Messiah. And so, you know, there's just like this thing that begins to happen in her heart. So she goes and she runs to all the people in her village to say, I met this man and he told me everything I ever did. And you have to come hear him. Right. And all of the things. Well, in the meantime, uh, Jesus is having all this interaction. The disciples show back up and I, you know, I just love reading about the disciples and their interaction with Jesus. Cause I, you know, we, we give them a hard time, but I'm like, these are the humans right here. This would be me too. Okay. Because we just read that Jesus is all tired and worn out. So the disciples are like, okay, we're going to go get you some food, Jesus, all the things. Uh, And so meanwhile, the disciples uh, were, were urging Jesus, hey, Rabbi, you need to eat. And Jesus said, I have the kind of food you know nothing about. And so then they're like, did somebody bring him food while we were gone? Do you know what, you know? And Jesus begins to tell them that his nourishment comes from doing the will of God. And he begins to preach again. And he said, and then it says many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. So this is the first time these guys are in Samaria with Jesus. And I just, I want to present several things to you in this passage because this is really big. See, in that moment, if you have to understand Samaritans were like the scum of the earth. 
to the Jews. There was zero interaction. The fact that Jesus would even go through Samaria to get where he was going it was totally unacceptable because Samaria was like, it doesn't matter if that would cut off like three days of your travel, you would go around because you don't go through Samaria because those people have zero value. They're unclean. They're beneath us. You do not speak to them and certainly not a woman. And so this was the culture. So even the fact that they chose to go through Samaria, you know, the disciples are already like so uncomfortable, like they have to go buy food at a Samaritan village for Jesus. Like he is forcing them outside of their comfort zone because, and you see this, Jesus, Jesus initiates this interaction with this woman. And the first thing she says is, why are you talking to me? Like she's, she's addressing all of the, the ethnic differences. Like this isn't okay. And Jesus is like telling her about living water. She's having an encounter with the son of the living God. And her next question is, well, how come you Jews say that they do this and us Samaritans? See, it's, she's still just stuck in this place. So when you, when you begin to understand like this, this was like the no, no of all no, no's. Don't go through Samaria. Don't talk to Samaritans. Certainly not a Samaritan woman. Don't waste your time there. And in that moment, see, Jesus is not only valuing and honoring the Samaritan, but he begins to step into and embody what the Israelites were meant to be. Because from the very beginning of time, the Israelites were called to be a priesthood nation, to be a light to the Gentiles. And Jesus begins to step into that role. See, he's redeeming what it means to be an Israelite Jew. And as the Samaritan woman experiences this, she starts thirsting for the living water that he's talking about. And so in this simple interaction, Jesus is transforming his disciples understanding of what it means to be Jewish. He is modeling for them. This is who you're called to be. Let me redeem your ethnic story and point you to restoration to the way it's supposed to be. He is transforming their understanding of what it means to be Jew, while also at the very same time transforming the Samaritan's perspective of what it means to be Samaritan. Do you like like do you understand how huge this is? Because what Jesus does here is so powerful because it beca- it, it makes mission not just limited or confined to ethnicity, but it actually takes ethnicity and makes it the vehicle by which the good news comes alive. This is, I, this is deep. So I, I get like processing this a little bit is hard, but, but do you understand that, that when, when we take out the ethnic part of it and we say, when we step in to being who God has called us to be, then we redeem our own ethnic story as we reach out to someone unlike us that the world, that the media and the politicians tell us that we shouldn't be friends with. We begin to say, this is what humanity looks like. 
strike. We begin to redeem our own ethnic story. And when you become comfortable in that, it will make people around you from every ethnicity hungry for it. And you will begin to give them value. And you will also redeem their understanding of their ethnic journey. So our mission isn't to just say, let's all get along. Jesus takes it to a new level here to say, this isn't just about being friendly. Our mission is not just to cross the ethnic barrier and try to make it work. It's to say, what if we took our ethnic story and allowed Jesus to redeem it? And we stepped into that and gave other people permission to be redeemed. See, the Holy Spirit will empower us to reach all kinds of people unlike us. And I really believe you take this, you take this interaction in some, in Samaria where, you know, the disciples are just like, <laughs> like literally you, I mean, we don't understand this because it's, it's not our culture, but it's like total mind blow for them. But then you see after they're filled with the Holy Spirit and the next time they're in Samaria, they're doing the same thing Jesus did because Jesus modeled it for them. He showed them, he transformed their understanding of what it means to be an Israelite Jew. And he gave them a mission in that. And so they come and they, they begin to reach the Samaritans it's crazy. When we stand up modeling how Jesus has redeemed our own ethnic journey, whatever that may be, see, everyone has their own story. We offer value and permission to other people to be redeemed also. And that's going to draw people in. See, that's going to make people thirsty. In our culture today, that's going to make people be like, what, what's going on with you? See, and, and the other thing that I like about this is, is it makes it, sometimes the church has gotten political about, about reaching across ethnic barriers. So it's like a mission trip to the other side of the tracks. And so it becomes all about, we have Jesus and we're going to be kind to you and show him his love. Now, it's good. We want to be kind and we want to show people God's love. Okay. But turning ethnicity into this holy thing to say, I have the answers. It's like when you go on a mission trip and like the Americans show up and you just want to run everything because you think you know it all. And you're like, that doesn't work in that culture. You need to let them lead. See, we can't be political about this. It's, it's not about standing up and, and reaching across and taking a picture with someone who's a different color than me and saying, look, we forged a friendship, so it's possible. So let's pose for the media. This is a lifestyle. This is an embodiment of the, the Holy Spirit in us where you just go. And it becomes first about stepping into my redemption. And when I go in reaching out to someone that makes me uncomfortable and my focus is on me being redeemed rather than just trying to get them to do something, the whole thing changes. 
And that's what believers need to see. That's what the world needs to see believers doing because that's refreshing. That's like, give me some of that right there. If you know somebody who does this well, it's attractive. It's not a turnoff. You just go, that is, that's authentic. That is real. That is not about political moves. That is not about anything else. When you watch somebody step in and say, God has redeemed my story. So that I can love you and you can love your story. It's so good. It's so good. Let's go to another part in Acts. Acts chapter 10. This is another another one. This story is so crazy, you guys. It's so, it's so good. It's one of my favorites. Acts chapter 10. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain to the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household, and he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said, and Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel, and the angel replied, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as offerings. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He's staying with Simon, a tanner who lives by the seashore. And as soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants, and he told them what had happened, and he sent them off to Joppa. So the next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter was up on the flat roof laying down to pray, and it was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. And in the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. And the same vision was repeated three times. Um, can I just make a side note here that God, the Holy Spirit speaks our language. What I mean by that is he's so personal. I can't help but notice that he just mentioned this three times to Peter, which is kind of significant in his life. If you recall that when, when he had, uh, denied Jesus. It was three times. And then when Jesus is restoring him, he tells him three times, feed my sheep. Right. And it's all these things. So I I just think I'm wondering if Peter's going, um, okay, you, you've told me this three times. This is ringing a bell in my life. He just knows how to communicate and speak with us. It's so good. Uh, uh, then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? And just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Do not worry for I have sent them. 
So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And so they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by the Jews. And so they're telling him uh, the story. And so Jesus, uh, so uh, Peter invited them in to stay for the night. And the next day, he went with them, accompanied by some brothers from Joppa. And they arrived at Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up. I'm a human just like you. So they talked together and they went inside where many others were assembled. And Peter told them, get this, you know that it is against the law for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. And Cornelius tells him the story of the angel coming and says, basically, so I gathered all my people and now we're here. So tell us what you need to tell us. And Peter says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And this is the message of the good news. And he begins to tell them the good news, the story of Jesus dying, raising again, all the promises, all the things. And it says in verse 44, even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. And the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they had heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterward, Cornelius asked him to stay with them for several days. And so this is like an amazing encounter. Listen to what happens after that. You just keep reading in in chapter 11. Soon the news reached the apostles and the other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of the Gentiles and even ate with them? And then Peter told them exactly what had happened. So he tells them the story. I had this vision. It came, the, the thing came down and God told me to kill and eat. And he said, don't call unclean what I've made clean. And he tells him the whole story. And he says, and as I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. And then I thought of the Lord's word when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus, who was I to stand in God's way? Now here is something so good. In verse 18, when the others heard this, they stopped objecting. And began praising God. And they said, we can see God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. Wowzers. 
Okay, you want to talk about reaching through ethnic barriers and prejudice. Again, this is another people group, Gentiles. Like Peter arrives and says, hey, you know and I know that I shouldn't be here. This is against the law for me to come into your home and eat your unclean food with you. But Jesus had prepared all of this stuff and and prepared his heart to just walk into something super uncomfortable. But he was beginning to redeem his understanding of the new covenant. And so he walks in as uncomfortable as it probably was. And he shares the good news. The Holy Spirit says it's like it was just like it was when we got him. There was no difference. And so he leads them all to Jesus. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. They're baptized in water, and he comes back to all of the Jewish people who are like, say, what? Have you lost your mind? You know, and Peter, I'll I'll give it to the apostles. I mean, you know, Peter was kind of like the bull in the china cabinet, always just kind of all over the place. You're like, Peter, Peter, you've lost your mind, man. Like, why would you associate with them? Come back. This is not good. This is not healthy. You know, you're trying to bring some correction in the church, you know, those kind of things. And, and Peter's like, no, 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 listen to what happened. And the hearts of those believers were so tender before the Lord They weren't religious about their response. See, I just can't get away from it. You might be a Pharisee if when you see the work of God that doesn't line up with what you think you can't change. But that wasn't the case for these believers. They said they stopped objecting and they began praising God. And it was a game changer. See, all of us, no matter what your story is, no matter where you come from, no matter what your color is, your home language, your ancestors, we're all born with a systematic prejudice or racism. This is something that the Lord, like when I told you I was crying around the table, my multi-ethnic table, I was weeping because I, I began to see, I, I'm pretty much a, I love everybody. I, I, it like red and yellow, black and white. I love it. Um, I, I like to get me some soul. I'd really like to have some more friends of color in my life. Cause I think they're so amazing. Right. And all this thing. So, so I'm really not like a prejudiced person, But it was like the Lord began to show me, Ashley, your ethnic story has systematic racism in you. What I mean by that is when you're born into a family, there is an ethnic story that you carry that's just systematic. So you take these men in the Bible, for example, they're Jewish men. According to their system their belief system, just the way they grew up in the culture that they grew up in. You don't go to Samaria. You do not eat with Gentiles. You do not do these things. And so even though they might be filled with the love of God, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't for everyone, man. See, what you begin to see is kind of this ingrained belief system that Jesus, after he released the Holy Spirit, is undoing. 
and it should be undoing all of us. So when I look at myself in the mirror and begin to evaluate, I'm a white girl who grew up in a two parent family with pretty much anything that I want, or at least all of my needs covered with grandparents who live in a tiny town up north. That'll tell you something. I begin to see that my story isn't the American dream story. See, that story sets me up. That systematic racism in me hinders me from understanding somebody from a different ethnicity. Somebody who doesn't have all of those things and that's their way of life. And that's not on my grid. When you grow up in a culture that just says it's because of lack of responsibility and you partner with that, see that's systematic racism. I'm sorry. It's getting really quiet. Some of you are like, Oh geez. But can I be honest? There's hope for that. And so as I sat at this table next to this Chinese lady who was rocking my world, and my Cuban American district supervisor and all these people, I wept at my table, repenting to the Lord, saying, God, would you redeem that in me? It doesn't mean that the cards I was dealt was wrong. See what I'm saying? This is not, this is just about taking a look at our disposition in society and how that hinders us sometimes from seeing the whole picture in other people's disposition in society. That this is clearly, this is all it is. It, I am not up here to say all you white people get to the altar. Because we've been so wrong. But some of you white people get to the altar because you've been so wrong. <laughs> what it is is recognizing my disposition in life is not the right thing. See, we're all born into sin. That's why we have to be reborn. And so it's, it's just allowing God to bring redemption there so that I can see all of the other people, brothers and sisters from every tribe and every tongue and every color for who they really are and walk in and step into their story, fully knowing that mine is not the right one and loving them and giving them permission to be restored by Jesus and theirs. That's powerful. That's, that's the answer to reaching across ethnic barriers 
It's coming to Jesus. And it's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Man, I just look at these guys. I'm like, their minds were so blown just over and over and over because they were just hungry for Jesus. They were just on this journey. So they were just having visions where they just had to like go, okay, I repent. Uh, what I won't call unclean what you call clean. And I'm just going to go see what happens. And a whole new group of people comes into the kingdom because Peter is willing to let go of his systematic prejudice that he was raised with and just say, I will listen to Jesus. I will allow him to redeem me so that I can step in and see other people be redeemed. Amen. You guys still like me? Is that heavy enough for today? Everybody take a deep breath. Like, all right, we okay? This has to happen. This is why I'm passionate about this has to happen in our church. In the current condition of our nation, believers have to be the ones to figure this out. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is the only answer. Only he can do this. And so the believers have to begin to rise up. We have to begin to take a good look at our hearts. We have to weep around the table and repent and allow God to step in and redeem us so that we can walk out and give other people the opportunity to be redeemed so that we can make people hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because when we do this the right way, it's attractive and it's healing and it's whole. And it looks like the picture of heaven because in heaven, John said there was people of every tribe and every tongue and every nation worshiping and circling the throne. And that means that the church on earth better look like that too. It's so good. Even though this is heavy, oh, it's so good. This is who we're called to be. We're called to reach the nations. We're called to reach the other side of the tracks. We're called to reach the neighbor who doesn't speak your language. We're called to to reach all of the people. It doesn't even have to be about color. There's sometimes God's going to highlight a prejudice in you towards handicapped people, towards needy people, towards people on food stamps towards there. There's all kinds of things, but Jesus and the fullness of the Holy spirit is the answer to break down every barrier in you so that you may love and so that you may do it well. Amen. You can stand up. We're going to pray. I don't know what God's doing in your heart right now, but whatever he might be bringing up, I just want you to have an opportunity uh, to just say some things out to him. Maybe you just need to repent. Maybe you're just seeing some things. Maybe it's like, like, like me. I was just like, what, what? Like I am one of the least prejudiced people ever. What are you talking about? Systematic racism, Lord. And I began to see it in me in a totally different way. It broke me. Maybe you just need to have that encounter with the Lord this morning. Allow him just to do something in your heart. But I'm just going to pray over you. 
and then we're going to go home, give you something to, to mull over for the week. God, we love you. And Lord, I thank you that in our crazy culture and in the times we live in, you have already prepared us to be the answer because you're in us. And so we are the answer to our hurting world. We are the answer to all the division and ethnic diversity. We get to be the ones to come in and say, let's not make this about division. Let's make it about celebration. Lord, would you just do a work in our hearts as hard as it is to have the conversation with you? Would you just highlight our own ethnic journeys and where we come from and begin to redeem any part of that? Begin to heal our minds and our thinking, Lord, begin to renew our thoughts. Lord, we just invite heaven to invade our hearts. For your kingdom to come and your will to be done here in Living Way Church and each and every heart as it is in heaven. Thank you, God, for a great undoing of your church regarding prejudice and racism. Let us not shy away from having our own hearts healed so we add to the problem. God, let us be healed and restored so we can step in as a part of the solution. Give us eyes to see in a new way the people around us who are made in your image. Who are worthy of hearing the good news of Jesus. Allow your good news to become so alive in us that it's attractive and makes others thirst for living water. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you just fill us afresh again? Holy Spirit, come and just begin to fill our hearts. Because it's really your filling that's going to help us bust through ethnic barriers. It's really your filling that's going to begin to heal our eyes and our thinking. And God, I thank you that you're in a good mood about this, that we can leave here with light hearts. This doesn't have to be a heavy, condemning thing. This just is a thing and an invitation to press into you where you're just smiling and releasing wholeness and joy into us. God, I thank you. I thank you for for not allowing any heart to be taking this as condemnation. 
but Lord, that we would just see and that we would stop criticizing and begin praising what you're doing. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' precious, mighty name. Amen.